Thank you, uh, Zoe, for uh, reading and reminding us again um, how much we need God to save us, which is one of the things that we've been called to this year. Uh, we're going to be in uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter one to kick off as we walk. Uh, oh, there we are. So, we're talking about walking in the light, and and walking in the light for us specifically means walking in the light of God's coming. Um, that's the whole point of of this. Advent season is that we celebrate that God has come and that God is coming again. That uh, as we have seen that the, uh, and as it says in John 1, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So unequivocally and without question, we believe that the Lord has come. We believe that that has already happened. And we believe that the fact that God is with us and present makes a difference in our lives, that we have not been abandoned here. We also believe that God is coming again. This is the, the second part of the Advent season. As, as 1 John 2 tells us, as for you, the, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, he may be confident, uh, sorry, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So we look forward to God returning again. These are certainties that we carry with us, that we live in between two comings, that that the coming of God as a baby and being born into the world as Jesus and living a life that we could not live, dying as we could not die, being resurrected, makes a difference in our lives today, and that this difference will be consummated in his coming again. Now, the challenge for us in the midst of this is to walk in faith, because the the purpose of this season is to remind us that uh, even at our darkest point of the year, which is why this happens now, so the purpose of this whole Advent season originally was primarily to replace the the winter solstice celebrations of the Romans, and we needed to have something else to throw in there. So let's Christianize it, and we'll just, we'll, we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus, which is historically accurate. But also, the purpose of this season is to remind us that even of our, at our darkest point, at this darkest point in the year, and we know the darkest point of the year in Edmonton, when it, when it is dark when you wake up, at, uh, when, you, when it's dark when you wake up, it's dark when you arrive at work, and when you leave work again, it is dark again. We understand that this dark at, darkest point of the year, we celebrate that we're not abandoned or left to fight the battles of this world alone, but that we have God with us. Not only do we have God with us, we understand that this story ends well as well with his final and complete coming. And the challenge this season is it is every season to walk in faith, to keep believing that the promises uh, made to us matter, the promises that have been made to us are true, and to keep living in light of the future that we have been shown, this future where there is justice and peace and harmony. And that's difficult this season, it's difficult every season, because life is difficult. We understand what it's like to, to, to face the circumstances of this world and the sadness that goes along with it. We understand what it's like to have things not go the way we would want them to go. We understand what it's like to watch friends and family members that we love make bad choices and continue to make bad choices. We understand what it's like to continue to find ourselves struggling with our own bad habits and our own bad choices, and we find ourselves 
we find ourselves uh, with, with difficulty finding evidence that God is at work in this world. Faith becomes more and more difficult to conjure up. And then it gets worse because this time every year, and I'm sure it's, uh, I haven't seen the, the, the big revelation this year, but this time every year, right around Christmas and right around Easter, there's a, another documentary that gets released, which tries to, th- this documentary will knock down the underpinnings of Christianity and like blow them out of the water. And, and, and so there's some sort of sci- new scientific archaeological revelation, which is supposed to disprove Christianity, and then it doesn't. You know, it, it happens every single year that they'll, they'll come up with something that says, ha, the word, in, the word in Hebrew that they're translating as virgin really just means young girl. Ha, ha, the entire story is, is, uh, is disproved now, which isn't exactly true because the word in Hebrew does mean both virgin and young girl. It's the same word. Um, so it's not new information, but this happens every year where the historical Jesus is going to get us. And, and, it, and it gets more and more difficult as we're in our workplaces, we're with our friends and family to, to believe these things. It's harder and harder to make that leap of faith sometime, uh, this time of year as it is every time of year. And, and as we see the news accumulate, it's harder and harder to make that leap of faith. And then we find ourselves asking the question, why isn't it easier? Why isn't faith just easy? Why, why, can't, why can't I just believe the things I believe intellectually? Why can't I just have them ingrained in my heart 100% all the time so that this life of faith becomes easy for me? But the reality is the life of, uh, of faith in Jesus and what he's doing has always been difficult, and that's nowhere more clear to us than this week. Because this is the reading that we've been given for this week. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this is the... In Matthew, we get Joseph's side of the story. and In Luke, we get uh, Mary's side of the same story, where in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel, and I'm reading from Luke now, to Gabriel to Nazareth, to the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will deliver him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Both of them, whether we hear... Matthew, uh, Mary's story from Luke, or whether we hear Joseph's story from, from, uh, from uh, Matthew, both of them have been led to believe things that are contrary to all of their own instincts. One of the issues that I have is when people read this story, they say, well, oh, it was the ancient times, people didn't really know where babies came from, so it was easier for them to believe uh, that an angel did this. No, that's not true at all. People knew 
exactly what was going on. And both of them had to believe something that was contrary to every instinct that they had within them because they knew where babies came from. And this was a miracle beyond what they had understood and what they had expected. And they're both, both asked to not only trust each other, but trust in the Lord and that this miracle that is working in and among them is real and is going to keep happening. And we see this as, as, as Joseph begins to act in this, but but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you were to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So we see that even from the beginning, this has always been a leap of faith and it's always been incredibly difficult. Mary and Joseph are called to believe each other and to believe in the Lord. And this is not just a single one-time act for Mary and Joseph. They have to continue to do this day by day by day as they raise a child that is beyond in some ways what they are capable of understanding and also to believe this promise when it doesn't appear to be true. When, it, when, when, when there's a huge gap between this boy that they are raising to the 30-year-old man that he is before he begins to operate in his ministry. And while there are clues to this, and we see, uh, we see things happen when he's 12 years old where, he has a, uh, uh, where Jesus has a break where he walks away from his family and stays, with his, stays in the temple teaching. You know, there, there, we, have to, we have to acknowledge the fact that for Mary and Joseph, this was a day-to-day maintaining of faith that Jesus was was who they had been promised, and that, and that diligence that they had to have as they worked through just raising this boy, changing the diapers of God as they raised him, it was difficult. So we take that difficulty in us as well, where we understand that, okay, it wasn't easy for Mary and Joseph, it's not going to be easy for me either. I have to raise my children as well under the, in the uncertainty of God's promises sometimes. I have to live my life with my friends and family in the uncertainty of God's uh, promises as well. And I have to keep walking in faith, keep loving each other as brothers and sisters. And, and, and it's easy to stand here, and I've done this as well, where I was reading this story, and I was just like, well, of course they walked in faith. They had angels. If I had angels, I would believe too, right? Like if God would just give me a couple of angels, then everything would be fine. Uh, and then it turns out, and that's fair to a certain degree. That, that, that's fair that if we, if we all had visits from the angel Gabriel, we would probably find it easier to walk in faith. But there's also a chance that we've already seen angels and haven't noticed. This is a, a line from, uh, from Hebrews chapter 13, where in, the writer of Hebrews says, Keep on wanting, loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Um, so there is an aspect where it's like you might have already seen that and just hadn't noticed it. I remember uh, uh, I was talking to a guy uh, about faith. This was back when I lived in Saskatchewan, and he, he was a very scientific, adamant person about, uh, about, um, uh, about his faith. And he said, uh, he said well, if, if God would just appear to me on the midst of the road, then I would, then I would believe too. 
you know, and uh, thinking that if there was just this miraculous action that, that, that he would, that he would then all of a sudden believe in the Lord. And I said, okay, um, uh, I don't think so because you already have miraculous actions happen to you every single day. You already have children that are raised and breathing and healthy and, and taken care of. You already have a, a, a wife that loves you. You already have family members that love you. You already have the sun that rises on you every single day, and yet you still haven't noticed that God's working in your life. So what makes you think that you would accept this intervention of an angel as, as, as the working of the Lord, or would you just dismiss it as like, ah, I had a bit too much Mexican food the night before. Obviously something crazy happened to me. There's a chance that we that God could be intervening in our lives with angels, and we would not um, understand it even if we wanted to. But the faith that we've been called to is a leap beyond what we can be certain of and lay hands on and into the great uncertainty of God. We're always called to move away from what we can what we can prove rationally and into what we cannot prove. This is what Hebrews says. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So this faith that we're called to walk in, by its very nature, calls us beyond what is certain and verifiable and into our hopes and dreams and what we do not see. The very nature that we're frustrated by what we cannot see and the gap between who we are and what God has called us to be is filled in by faith. And it's filled in by faith because it's always called to be a step into the unknown. It's always called to be a step into what we would call the non-rational. I can't do an experiment that proves to you the presence of the Lord, but I can point to things that point to the presence of the Lord. Lord, and enter into it that way. Faith calls us to what we do not see. And if we're... Um, okay, sorry. Uh, and this is challenging for us because we want to believe in things that are rational and verifiable. We want to believe in things that have a trail of evidence. And we've been taught to believe that those are the things that are real. If, 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 I, can, if I can knock on it, if I, can, if I can cut it open, if I can dissect it, if I can hand it to somebody else and let them do a reproducible study on it, then it's a thing that is real. But the reality is we follow a thousands of year old tradition of those who follow a path that is built on things that are, un, that are intangible built on things that we cannot prove to each other without the shadow of a doubt, built on things that are the, 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 the faith in things hoped for and the assurance of things unseen. And we follow them, and while we can't see their motivation, we can see their actions. We can't see the motivation of faith. We can't see the, the, the evidence of faith in that way, but we can see what faith has produced. And this is what the writer of Hebrews 11 says. Because in trying to explain faith, he doesn't actually dial out and say that these are the things that we ought to have what he says this is this is what faith has produced and he tells stories of of abraham and he tells stories of isaac and he tells stories of of david and all of these people who moved out in faith and accomplished amazing things this is what he said who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be, re- be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment, and they were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not 
worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. This is the heritage of faith. These are the actions of faith. So when we look at faith and we say, like, so how can I prove that Jesus was born of a virgin? How can I prove that Jesus was, that, 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 that it wasn't just a secret cover-up of, of an involvement, of, of an affair with a Roman soldier, or that Joseph and Mary had, had just concocted this whole story? How can I prove that? Well, you can't. I can't prove that to you 100%. I don't have a, I can't give you a DNA test that, that marks that out for you, but I can say that for thousands of thousands of years, people who have believed this thing that we all kind of think might be not, that the world is telling us is nonsensical, people who have believed that have produced this, have produced giving their lives to other people, have, have produced laying their lives down for others, and we hear these stories of Abraham and Moses we hear stories of David, and we hear stories of Gideon, and women receiving back their dead to life again. And, and we see, we see even in the, in the next 2,000 years of stories, we hear stories of, of William Wilberforce overcoming the slave trade with, with the help of Han- Hannah Moore and others. We see the, 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 Huguenot, the, 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 the Huguenot villages in, in, in France that contrary to the, the empire, the, the Nazi empire that was in, encroaching in their territory, held and harbored Jews in, in defiance of the, those who said that they would be destroyed if they did. We've seen the civil rights movement step out and say if there's not, not just justice for everybody. In God's kingdom, there is not justice for anyone. So we will step out in justice that way. We see that when we are called to walk in faith, we don't just walk in our own strength. We walk in the strength of those who have inherited this tradition as well. And we step along with them and say, I can't verifiably confirm these things, but I'm going to give my life to it because it's going to make a difference down the road. I believe it because, because of what I've seen it produce in other people and what I've seen it produce in me, a faithfulness and, and a willingness to work and sacrifice that I do not have on my own. That's what faith produces. So, in light of this, how do we walk in faith? How do we, how do we walk in this faith? How do we, we want to be motivated to it, but how do we walk in that? And this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us about walking in faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, in the midst of of this, how do we actually walk in faith? So the first thing that we're going to do, according to the writer of Hebrews, is we're going to get rid of sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We are all bound down by habits and bad attitudes and things that are destructive to ourselves and others, and we need to get rid of those. It's interesting the way the language that the writer of Hebrews uses is as if these were like walking through spider webs or, or, or were covered in, in some sort of like, uh, I'm imagining like silly string that's been sprayed all over you, but it's like actually works, you know, in terms of anyway. But th- throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. It wraps us up and it ties us down and it prevents us from doing what we've been called to do. The second thing we're going to do if, we, if we're going to walk in faith is we're going to run our race. So one of the most challenging things is, is, 
is trying to figure out what has God actually called me to. It's one thing to look at me and say, okay, I'm going to run Dan's race. That's a bad idea. That's a terrible race to run. You should not do that. You need to figure out what God has called you to do, and in light of that, run your race, the race that is set before you. And then third and most important, focus on Jesus. That our, our primary focus goes, uh, our primary focus goes not on even on ourselves or not even the, the sin that entangles us, but we make our primary focus Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And we see what he went through and the uncertainty that he had and that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to his father saying, if you would take this cup from me, please take it. We see that faith that we've been called to as well. And the challenge is, is that it's always going to be hard. I think sometimes at this time of year we, we expect that like, okay, something is going to happen. It's going to move me in from the, from the, from the land of uncertainty into the land of certainty. And once I get there, then I'll be able to do what God has called me to. That's not the way that it works. We're always called to walk in this uncertain faith. And we're always called to walk in an unconfirmed hope. But the reality is that this is confirmed in the actions that Jesus has undertaken for us and in what we do as we work with others as well. That is what God has called us to. So as we undertake that challenge at this Advent season, even in the midst of the lights and everything else that's that's going on, we need to remember this this line of thinking as well, this line of action that, that we get rid of sin, that we throw it off. We don't get encumbered in the, in the materialism of the day and how it distracts us. We focus on what God has called us to do, which is not necessarily to make sure that we're, we're providing all of the best parties and all of the best decorations, and we focus on Jesus most of all. Not just the one who is about to come in a manger, but also the one who is about to come in glory and in, and, and in victory and in justice for everyone. Let's pray. God. We come here again as people whose faith can be small, can be weak, and can be inconsistent, but we also come to you as people who have been called and created by you. So we pray that we are not limited by by the size of our faith, but but by the strength of your faithfulness. And that as you are faithful to us, that we would see you begin to work in and among us, and that we would throw off the sin that is entangling us, that we would, that we would run the race that you have called us to, and that, we would, and that we would focus on you most of all, that our attention would be guided towards you in a razor-sharp fashion and in a way that benefits the world around us. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.